the street with his grim pool way down low. Ain't no sound but the sounds of feet. Machine guns ready to go. I ready, hey, I ready for this. I hang at the edge of your seats. Out of the doorways, bullets whip to the sound of the beat. Hey, hey, hey. Another one bites the dust. Boom, got Another one bites the dust. Another one down and another one gone and another one bites the dust. Get to do another one pots of dust. 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 Hey, hey, hey. It's your turn to make some noise out there. We need some help on this next part. Let us hear you. I say la, 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 la.
is the day. Are you so excited to be here? I am too. Uh, my name is Elena and I'm one of the volunteers here and welcome to our grand opening here at the Cypress Center. We are so excited to have you here with us this morning. It's really a historic day. So today we're celebrating our grand opening, but it is also our eighth birthday. So we're very excited about that. And after service, we would love for you to hang out for a little while. We're going to have a bounce house and cake and just a great celebration after service. So we would love to see you out there. But I'm also here to tell you about some of the great things that we have going on here at Kensington. Um, so for all you parents out there, we wanted to let you know that Parent Q Live is coming to Claremont on November 1st, and we want you to be there. So we have a great night planned, and it is definitely worth the call to the babysitter. So um, we have a video to show you more about that, so we're going to take a look. So for more information and to get tickets, you can head over to our website, which is kensingtonorlando.org slash parentqlive. And then tomorrow kicks off October, which means that we are getting really excited for our annual trunk or treat. And if you've never been here for it, well, then you are in for a treat. So um, we would love to have you here for that. It's going to be bigger and better than ever, and we really want you to be a part of it. So if you head over to kensingtonorlando.org slash trunk or treat, you can register your trunk and reserve a spot. And so we'd love to see you there. Then we also have a men's Bible study called DIG that occurs the first Wednesday of every month, and it's hosted by our executive pastor, Bill Malott, over at the Village Inn of Winter Garden from 6.30 until 8 a.m., and it's, it involves large group teaching, small group discussion, and really just an opportunity to dig deeper into God's word. So if you want more information, you can head over to kensingtonorlando.org dig, or if you just want to show up, I know they would love to have you. And then last but not least, if you're not following us on social media and you want to, we want to make sure that you have the information on how to do that. So um, our social media handles for Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Kensington Orlando. We also have an Instagram, which is Kensington Orlando. And then our Twitter is Kensington ORL. So we would love to have you follow us on there. So last but not least, um, now it is time for what we call the Kensington Crunch. We want to make some more room for people that are coming in. So we're going to have everybody stand up, move towards the center, say hello to everybody, and then we'll see you in just a moment. To let me know 
morning. How are you guys doing? You good? Man, what do you think of our new place? You like our new home? It's a great place, isn't it? Well, my name is Kevin Valentine. I am the lead pastor here, and you are here on a very special day to us. Um, we are eight years old today. Let's give it up for that, which is really exciting. And I just got to tell you, I was looking at some pictures of eight years ago, and I did not have a single gray hair on my head. And I just kept thinking, look at what you people have done to me over eight years, right? That's what you've done. Oh, man, but we are kicking off a new series called Stranger Things, and we're going to be looking at just questions that all of us have about the universe, about God, the Bible, and the resurrection. And, um, you know, that song we just sang was a, a song called Counting Blue Cars, and you can see the confusion in the song of just going, I want to know if there's a God and who he is. I think I'm going to meet him sometime. And they're asking all these questions within the song, and we want to address some of those today. Um, but let me just ask you this. How many of you are uh, fans of Stranger Things? I mean, let me see. Here. There we go. There's a lot of you out here. I love Stranger Things. It is a blast. It has a bit of everything. And I'll just tell you a little bit about it. For those of you that don't know, um, it's kind of centered around a small band of nerdy kids that you kind of fall in love with. And it has, it has monsters. It has, it has another realm called the Upside Down that exists underneath existence as we know it. It has government agencies that are trying to cover up the truth. It has, it has suspense. It has mystery. It has great monsters in it. And it's all set in this small town um, in the 80s where strange things begin to happen that are unexplainable. And not everybody knows about it, and not everyone believes there's anything going on, even when they hear about it and see evidence of it. They still dismiss the reality that there could be another realm directly underneath our realm called the Upside Down. That's a mirror image of the world as we know it, just, just facing the other way. There are skeptics of this other world. There are believers in this other world. There are people that know about the truth and they hide it. And there are people that, that want to get everyone in the world to accept the reality of it. And with that as the backdrop, we thought that we would take three ideas or truths in our world that seem upside down to our culture, that have mystery around them, that have that's where skeptics have a hard time believing, and we just want to say, hey, is there evidence to shed some light on the reality of each one of these? We're going to start today with, is God real? Is there evidence, scientific or elsewhere, that can prove the existence of God is, if he is real? What does that mean for us? Next week, we're going to take a look at the Bible. Is it really God's word? How can we know? Is it reliable? Is it valid? If it is the word of God, what do we do with it? And then we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, fact or fiction. Did it really happen? Is it actually relevant to today? It was something that happened 2,000 years ago. Does it still matter today? And I just want to talk to you. If you're here for the first time, um, I just want to tell you a little bit about us I, and about what I believe about God. I believe that God is not afraid of your skepticism. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not even afraid of your doubts. In fact, I believe he welcomes them. Because he wants the opportunity to stand up for himself. And you just need to know you're welcome here and God loves you. And that's why we love you. We would love that you're here. I hope you will stick with it until you find some answers on this spiritual journey that some of you began today. You didn't even know you were beginning it. You've begun it now. You're sitting in a church where we're going to talk about the reality of life and, and God and, and scripture and uh, the universe today a little bit. It's going to be a really great day, but I just want you to know that we're glad you're here. So I want to pray before we jump into the day. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you uh, welcome our doubt, our skepticism, our questions, our concerns, and that you are willing to stand in and, and 
talk them out with us, that you're not afraid of that. You don't look down on us when we question you, when we doubt you, um, when we're skeptical of some of the things we see in our world. And so, God, I just pray that as you've brought each one of us here, no matter where we're at on our spiritual journey, I pray that today would be a step in that journey, maybe a giant leap. Um, But Lord, I just pray that you would move each one of us forward in our walk with you um, by helping us build a foundation that you want us to kind of work on today. In your holy name, amen. All right, so today, is God real? Is there scientific evidence in the existence of God to believe in God or to be a Christian? Do you have to check your brains at the door when you got out of your car and walked in? You just got to check your brain and suspend reality and come in here and go, yes, that's very true, I love that, and then pick up your brain on your way out. Is that how Christianity works, or is it really about taking a calculated, um, a kind of a measured leap of faith? And so um, I want to let you know here up front, I'm going to give you a lot of information today, and and I'd love for you to write some of it down, but don't try and write all of it down. I think it'd be really difficult to, um, but I want to engage your mind today. I want you to just kind of open up your mind and just just engage that part of you um, and take a few notes, but don't try and get it all. We're going to put this service up online. You can check it out again, but today is going to kind of be a science lesson, really. Um, It's going to kind of be Bill and I, the science guy, meets like Mythbusters, okay? It's going to kind of be like that, um, and we're going to literally scratch the surface of the evidence that's out there. And I want to start out with a verse out of the Bible, which we're going to dive into next week. Um, But I want to start out with a verse that's written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote over half of the New Testament. And he tells us where we can look to find evidence for the existence of God. Romans 1, verse 19. He says, they, people, know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. So Paul here is saying that if we look with our eyes at what has been made, it should be clear. We should find evidence that God exists, and through that, we might possibly even know him. So I want to talk about that. What does science say? What do scientists say about the existence of God? And there's a great book written by a guy named Lee Strobel. Write this down. It's The Case for the Creator by Lee Strobel. Incredible resource of information where this author, Lee Strobel, former atheist, goes out to disprove the existence of God and Christianity and Jesus and ends up in his pursuit of the truth becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. There's a massive turnaround from atheism to becoming a full-blown follower of Jesus, believing in God, and he did so by, inter- by interviewing scientist after scientist after scientist, some of the greatest minds in our world, about the realities of our universe and if they can scientifically s- support the existence of God. And the big question they all kind of jump into and, and want to answer is this, are we the result of intelligent design? Are we the result of design? Are we the output of an intelligent designer that created everything? Or did the universe and everything in it just happen by chance? A mixture of some like prebiotic soup that eventually over millions of years got together through evolution became what we know today as life. And I want to dive into that. We're going to look at three places to look with our eyes for the evidence of the existence of God. And the first place we're going to look is we're going to look up into what we call the cosmological argument for the existence of God. And so I brought this along. This is my daughter's telescopic binoculars that we got her for Christmas. And I will just tell you, on a clear night, looking up at the moon, 
brilliant, amazing, wow. Um, I can't believe what you can see through these. And then on top of that, um, when, you, when you get bigger telescopes, you can actually see other planets. And the really big telescopes, you can see other galaxies outside of our own galaxy. And we're gonna, this is the cosmological evidence for the existence of God. And it begins with a look at the origins of the universe. Now, we have all heard of the Big Bang Theory, right? Anybody heard of the Big, big Bang Theory? Show me your hands. There you go. You've heard of it. Um, there was a huge explosion in the result of in the universe, was the universe, and eventually it created us. And when I was a kid, um, the religious people and Christians, man, that was like blasphemous to talk about the Big Bang Theory because scientists were saying that it wasn't God, it was the Big Bang. And then, you know, what happened was they made it into a TV show, and then everyone was fine with it because it was funny, right? So the... It's a joke. Okay, sorry. You know, I'll, I'll try one later. Guys, stick with me, guys. Like, let's do this together. Um, but what happened with advancement in science and astronomy, the Big Bang now is scientifically proven theory. It withstands scientific criticism. And I'll just give you an example. Albert Einstein predicted in 1915, according to the laws of physics, he said that the universe is either it's either imploding or exploding. That has to be the reality of our universe. Well, in 1929, 14 years later, the Hubble telescope was created, and we suddenly began to learn that, yes, in fact, his prediction was true. The universe is expanding in every direction at the same time. Nobel Prize-winning physicist Steven Weinberg, he says, in the beginning, there was an explosion. Not an explosion like those familiar on Earth, starting from a definite center and spreading out to engulf more and more of the air but an explosion which occurred simultaneously everywhere, filling all space from the beginning with every particle of matter rushing apart from every other particle. The universe was filled with light, which sounds sneakingly you know, like a scripture in the Bible where God said, let there be light, right? And bang, there was light, right? Like that's what happened. Like God spoke, bang, there was light. And this is what this says. Look, the universe was filled with light like that. Um, Bill Bryson, another scientist, he says, in three minutes, 98% of all matter there is or ever will be was produced. We have a universe. It is a place of the most wondrous, gratifying possibility and beautiful too. And it was all done in about the time it takes to make a sandwich, which I like read that and I'm like blown away by how fast that guy makes sandwiches, man. That's like three minutes. I cannot do that. I'm a five-minute sandwich guy. Like I cannot beat that. So here's why this is important. Um, most scientists now believe that energy, matter, space, and time even had a beginning. At some point, they didn't exist, and then they suddenly began to exist. The theory of general relativity tells us that um, whatever created energy, matter, space, and time has to transcend those things. So we said, well, then what created? What created that? Nobel Prize winner Arno Penzias puts it this way. He says, the best data we have are exactly what I would have predicted had I nothing to go on but the first five books of Moses, the Psalms, or the Bible as a whole. There is intelligent design behind the existence of the universe. He goes on, the cause of space and time must be an uncaused, beginningless, timeless, spaceless, immaterial, personal being endowed with freedom of will and enormous power. This is how God is described in the Bible. Colossians 1.16, for everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, 
everything got started in him and find its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. More and more, we find evidence that points to intelligent design from a cosmological viewpoint and that biblical truth is actually in line with mainstream astrophysics and cosmology. And we're just scratching the surface. Like, I mean, I, I, got, a, I got two hours of material. I've cut it back to an hour and a half just for you. That's what we're doing today. So here's the deal. The first direction you look is you look up. You look um, up to, to the heavens to find evidence for the existence of God. Now, the second place we're going to look is we're going to look out. So let me put this back and put this back here. And let me get my next little prop here to kind of help you remember what we're talking about. You look out at this bad boy, the earth. You look out at the earth that is all around us. Does this reveal intelligent design? The anthropic principle, well, this is the anthropo anthropological argument for the existence of God, says that all the seemingly arbitrary and unrelated constants in physics throughout the universe, and specifically on earth, have one stranger thing in common. See what I did there? Huh? Stranger thing. All right, you guys are with me. Um, one stranger thing in common. They are precisely the values you need if you want to have a planet capable of producing life. So Stephen Meyer, he's a professor and PhD at Whitworth College. He says the Big Bang was not a chaotic, disorderly event. Instead, it appears to have been fine-tuned for the existence of intelligent life with a complexity and precision that literally defies human comprehension. In other words, the universe we see today and our very existence depends upon a set of highly special initial conditions. And I want to talk about those settings that the earth has that are statistically impossible to have happened by chance. They have been fine-tuned by someone or something. Now, uh, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to imagine in your mind and just like, don't, you're not going to help you at all. I want you to just picture in your mind a whole control panel full of hundreds of dials and little things like that to be said. Like, just picture that in your mind. Just, you know, I'm not going to help you at all. I'm not going to show you anything. You guys just in your mind, figure it out and think about that. For life to exist on planet earth. Oh, I had a picture for you. Where's my people in the back? Oh, that was totally a joke. Okay. So, all right, you guys, picture, picture, you guys got it? Picture, a control panel. For life to exist on planet Earth, for life to exist on planet Earth, for every single one of those dials, if that was it, had to be set perfectly. Its location in the universe, its size, its structure, its atmosphere, its temperature, internal dynamics, the intricate cycles that are essential to life, the carbon cycle, phosphorus cycle, the sulfur cycle, the calcium cycle, the sodium cycle, the, the, the motor cycle, the cycle, I made those up. Um, if any one of those were dialed in differently, if any one of those even changes a single half a degree, it would be impossible for life to exist on our planet. If you change one of tens of thousands of variables that had to be set perfectly for life to exist, it wouldn't be possible for life to exist potentially in the entire universe, especially on Earth. So I want to give you a few examples of the anthropic principle at work. These are some of the settings that are set up specifically for life to exist here. First one is this. Um, it's this water bottle. For, there, for you to have life on a planet, you have to have water and a lot of water. As you look at the Earth, the dials are set perfectly 
for it to be full of water and comes complete with a water regulation system that's part of our planet. And I'm going to move quick uh, through this, but one setting that's set perfectly is the type of galaxy we're in. There are three spiral, uh, three, three galaxies, spiral, elliptical, and irregular. Um, so you're looking at the, the Milky Way galaxy. This is the galaxy that we live in. This is home to us. Um, and where we are at in it is in between the arms of, of, the, of the, those radials around the galaxy. So you can see where we're at. We're set up perfectly for a water-filled planet. There are 350 billion galaxies in the universe, by the way. Only a spiral galaxy is stable enough to produce water. Um, our sun, when you get to our sun, it's very specific the way that our sun works. Um, it's among the 10% most massive stars um, in the Milky Way. It's highly stable as far as light output is compared with other stars. Um, if it wasn't, we would have wild temperature swings. Our sun is very rare in the universe that it is so stable. Uh, another dial is the orbit of our planet. We have almost a, a, a circular orbit around the sun, almost perfectly circular. You have to have that in order to maintain a steady temperature. If it varies too much, um, water cannot exist in large quantities on our planet. Another dial that's set perfectly is the speed of our planet, um, because we don't think about this very much, but uh, the speed of our planet keeps us in orbit. We are all right now traveling together um, 67,000 miles per hour. That's how fast we are traveling on the Earth. And there's not even a breeze outside. I mean, can you believe that? Like, it's amazing. But we're traveling that fast. How fast that is, every time you blink, is 20 miles. Like, literally, 20 miles, 20 miles. 20 miles. That's how fast we are going as a planet. That speed um, keeps us circulating around the sun at a constant uh, circular pattern that keeps our temperatures just right for there, to be, uh, for there to be water all over our planet. Another setting that's perfect is our distance from the sun. We're 93 million miles from the sun. If we were any closer, our oceans would boil off. If we were any further, they would uh, freeze up. We are in what's called the Goldilocks zone. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's just right, right? It's just right. Now, let's talk about our moon. Our moon stabilizes the axis of our planet at 23 and a half degrees. And it keeps it there. It gives us very mild seasons. The moon is really large compared to the Earth, which helps keep us uh, stabilized at 23 and a half degrees. Mars, Mercury, Venus have very small moons. The, they're, they're, they wobble as they go through the universe, which create incredibly huge climate swings that makes water an impossibility on those planets. The moon contributes 60% to the going in and out of the tides, which continually refreshes the water system around our entire planet. It keeps it fresh. It moves nutrients and, 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 and minerals throughout the whole system. Uh, can you tell I love this stuff? I love this stuff. Like, I literally could talk forever. It's so, it blows me away. So John A. O'Keefe, he's a renowned professor and, uh, and, and a pioneer in space research. This is what he says. It says, if the universe had not been made with the most exacting precision, we could never have come into existence. It is my view that these circumstances indicate that the universe was created for man to live in. And so here's the questions that you and I have to wrestle with, that all those dials get set perfectly by chance, by random acts of cosmic good luck. Or is there an intelligent designer behind it? Science more and more, the more we study and learn about uh, not only our earth and the universe, um, supports intelligent design being behind all we know as you look out at the earth. 
which gets us to one more place we're going to look today to the existence and evidence of God. And uh, before we get to it, we're going to receive our offering. So um, ushers, if you guys want to go ahead and come on down. And uh, for those of you that are new, you're visiting with us, thank you for being here. And let me just tell you, um, this offering moment, let the basket go by. We're just glad that you're here. Like this service is our gift to you. We don't want you to feel any pressure or weird about it. Uh, let that basket go on by. But for those of you that call Kensington home, this is where we just give back to what uh, to God from what he's given to us. And we, we say thank you with a thankful heart. And so uh, while we're doing that, ushers, come on forward. We're going to go ahead and move on with this uh, third place we look. We look up um, kind of at the heavens. We look out at the earth. And the third place we're going to look today is we're going to look in. You look up, you look out, you look in. And so I brought a microscope here. You look in at our biology, our cellular makeup, and our ability to have consciousness. One of the leading scientists in the world on the biochemical evidence for the existence of God for intelligent design, he's a professor at Lehigh University. Uh, his name is Michael Behe, and he believes at a microbiological level that the data points to intelligent design and argues with this concept called irreducible complexity. We're going to say that together. Ready? One, two, three. Irreducible complexity, okay? It's going to be your word for the day. Talk about it later, and you'll sound super smart. So um, irreducible complexity, he illustrates it for the layperson, which is me, with a mousetrap. And I need to be very careful picking this up because it is, like, ready to spring. Um, but here's what's interesting about this mousetrap. Very, very simple device. Has a uh, wooden base. It has a spring for loading tension. It has a it has a metal hammer. Um, and if you want to know what a hammer does, it's not pretty when something alive gets inside of this thing. Um, and then and then it has a catch that you that you hit to release it. And um, and that is what. Oh my gosh, I almost just died. Like I'm not even joking. Like we need to have a backup for me every Sunday. Like. So it's one of those things where this is a very simple thing, but if, if a little animal or critter were to crawl into this thing, I'm going to try and do this without hurting myself. It worked last service, so I'm going to trust that it works there. You know, a little, little animal comes in here and gets it. This thing's got a lot of power. Like, there goes, a, there goes my life, right? My life was almost, almost done there. But here's the deal with this. This is what an irreducibly complex machine means. His theory is if you take any single piece away from this mousetrap, any single one piece, it doesn't work. Any single piece you pull out of here, and then you put a piece of cheese on it, and you put it down, you're just a really nice person because you gave your mouse a plate to eat his cheese on. Like, that's what you did. It will not work. This mousetrap is an irreducibly complex system. If any one piece is missing, it will not work. Darwinian thought would have you believe that at one time, all of these parts of the mousetrap were separate, and over millions of years, somehow they connected to each other by random chance and became this perfectly functional mousetrap, which still doesn't account for where the individual pieces came from and how they were made in the right size and shape, how they assembled in the right order and figured out how to work together. You just need to know something about our bodies. When you go in biologically, our bodies are full, are full of irreducibly complex Machines. I'll give you one example. Every cell in your body has little hairs on them called cilia. I've got a picture of cilia. They beat back and forth, and they move the cell if it's a moving cell, and if it's a, if it's a stationary cell, it moves stuff along the surface of the cell. Now, here's what's fascinating. Your esophagus, every one of us has one of those, is full of cilia that are stationary. 
and, and they're full of cells that are stationary. And guess what those cells, the cilia on those cells do? Move stuff up and down your esophagus. Like when you need to clear your throat, it's constantly moving stuff up. I know it's disgusting, but we all do it, right? We all spit. Um, Scientists used to think that these were just cute little hairs, you know, that gave each cell its own sense of self-worth and identity, and it allowed the cells with hair to make fun of cells without hair. You know, that's what they thought about them. But with the invention of the electron microscope, scientists found out that every single cilia, cilium is what they're called in their individual, was an irreducibly complex machine made up of 200 proteins that had to be in the right order. Otherwise, they cease to function. If you take one protein out of the 200 that make up one cilia, it doesn't function. It's an irreducibly complex system. Most scientists say the probability of that happening by anything other than design is statistically impossible. And that's one out of thousands of examples I could give you that are just right inside of you. Another example, relatively new to science, is the study of DNA. Do you know every single cell in your body has a strand of your specific DNA, and it has terabytes of information on it that are specific to you, your height, eye color, hair color, skin tone, facial structure, bone density, where in the body that cell belongs, what type of cell it is, what function that cell has. It's all programmed into your DNA that's like computer code, and that strand of DNA is six feet long. It's in every cell in your body. It is so small that six feet of it is wound up in every single cell. And it's so small that there's still room left over in the cell. Which means every single cell in your body has your code, your DNA in it. Richard Dawkins, he's a professor at Oxford. He's a well-known atheist that started to walk back his beliefs later in life. He says this. He says the machine code of the genes is uncannily computer-like. If you reflect on that, you realize that computers run on software programs that are produced by intelligent engineers. Every experience we have about information, whether it is computer code, hieroglyphic inscription, a book, or a cave painting, points toward intelligent design. The same is true about information inside every cell in every living creature. And then what's even crazier is when you get into our brains. When you look at our brains... I know some of you are going, I don't know if I have one of those. Um, I would be the first in line. Can you check me, please? I just do dumb things like the mousetrap thing earlier. Um, but our brains are the command center of our body. Scientists can pinpoint where in your brain it controls your body functions, walking, talking, where your memory is stored, what parts of your brain control the day-to-day -day functions of routine. But what scientists can't find in your brain, which is fascinating, is where your consciousness comes from. They can't find it. Your sensations, your thoughts, your emotions, your desires, your beliefs, your free choices that make you alive and aware. Um, scientists can manipulate our bodies with electrical stimulation in our brains, but that's all they can do. This is what scientists say. There's no place in the physical brain where electrical stimulation can cause a patient to believe or to decide anything because those functions originate in the conscious self, not the brain. Which means a scientist could know more about what's happening in my brain than I do, but he could not know what's even happening in my mind. He can't know because those things are in my consciousness apart from my body. They're in my spirit, which scientists don't know where that exists. They cannot find it in any single part of your body. They can't find where that comes from. They can't explain our humanness, things that make you you. So the question becomes, at what point? 
did the cells that make up our body as a physical being decide to become conscious? Did our humanness just happen by accident or did God breathe life into us and give us the gift of consciousness outside the physicality of our bodies? Did he make us humans created in his image as a reflection of a living, breathing, all-powerful, ultimately creative God of the universe? What comes to my mind every time we talk about this stuff is a response of King David in the Bible in Psalms 8 where he's just contemplating all the stuff we're talking about. And he says this, he says, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them, yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic. Your majestic name fills the earth. And how does it fill the earth? Because every time you look up, you look out, and you look in. God's signature is on every single thing you see. And as we advance in science, the evidence continues to support that there is an intelligence greater than anything we know or can comprehend that put the universe into motion, created a life, a, a place where life could exist, and then created us and gave us a mind full of consciousness. And I will just say this, I think that a God that is capable of doing all of that, all that we know is quite capable of letting us know who he is. I think that a God that's capable of all that, 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 that we know is capable of letting us know what his name is. I think he's capable of speaking to us. I think he's capable of letting us know that he literally loves us and wants to help us live our lives as he intended us to when he created us. Which leads us to one more thing that scientists can't explain and that is the change that happens in a person's life, in a person's life when they believe in and begin a relationship with God. They can't explain that. Some people say that's the most undeniable of all evidence is what happens in the life of somebody that meets God and accepts the truth about him and begins a relationship with him. It's when a marriage that's on the brink of divorce gets turned around and gets put back together. It's when a life begins to be lived with purpose. It's when broken relationships get put back together. It's when joy comes from within, no matter what the circumstances are. It's when hope springs out of hopelessness, when someone accepts and believes in and begins a relationship with the God of the universe. And so, you know, just in conclusion, it's kind of like, is there um, uh, evidence pointing to the existence of God? Yeah. Can we know through that evidence what God is like? Yeah. We could meet God. What might he say? What might he ask of us? Could we be in a real relationship with God?
Unbelievable. What a jerk. Tough day? Uh, yeah, try rough year. Hey, this is John. Yeah, I, I can't do that today. We did talk about it, and I told you that I can't do it. Look, that's ridiculous. If you would just take the time, you know you have the time. You're just being lazy. Which, hello? <laughs> Things Great. not going too well? Yeah, you can say that again. You leaving work early? Yeah, uh, place is out of control and people were driving me nuts. Yeah, Bob was out of line back there. Yo, you know, can you believe that guy? Like, I, I wanted to kill him. He's such a you liar. Know, Bob's going through a rough time now as well. You know Bob? Yeah, known him for a long time. He's a good guy. <laughs> you say so, buddy. You know, John, you didn't react in the best way possible either. <laughs> How do you know? I, I'm sorry, do we know each other? It's been a long time. Uh, no offense, but I have no clue who you are. None taken. I know you've been busy with the Sterling Project, and the kids are out of control, and you and your well, wife. Yeah, cut, cut it out. I, I don't know who you are or what you're trying to pull here. I'm just trying to help. Oh, you want to help. You want to help me? Oh, okay. You know what? Why don't you start by trying to get my wife to talk to me? That'd be a great help. Or you know what? Maybe you can help me close this Sterling Project so I can keep my job. That'd be a great help. Oh, wait, wait. I got a better one. Why don't you just throw a ton of money in my bank account? That would be great. If you can't do any of those things, just butt out. I'm, I'm sorry. You're just... Uh Freaking me out with the whole uh, Sterling project thing, and I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm tired and I'm stressed. I'm working my tail off for all these things that are getting me nowhere. Sounds like you need a change in your life, John. How do you know my name? <laughs> your dad wanted to name you Robert, but your mom wanted to name you Jonathan after her favorite uncle. <laughs> and we both know who won those arguments, don't we? <laughs> How do you uh, know so much about me? Oh, I know everything about you. <laughs> everything. Yes, every tiny detail. Try me. <laughs> every little detail, huh? Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. I'll I'll play along, wise guy. Um, in seventh grade, I had a crush on a girl named Sherry Wright, <laughs> and I wrote her a love note. It had three boxes: yes, no, and maybe. She had to check one, and I put it in her locker. What did I write that note on? On an Apple Hostess fruit pie wrapper. Wrong. I wrote on the back of an air supply tape that I gave her for Valentine's Day. So there. John, that was your second draft. The first draft you wrote the day before on the school bus on the way home on an Apple Hostess fruit pie wrapper. You were sitting in the back on the left, and you were wearing your favorite green members-only jacket. <laughs> you should have stuck with that draft, John. You would have got better results. Um, I remember when she gave it back to you, when she had checked the no box. Boy, were you really hurt. And oh boy, were you mad at me. Oh my gosh, the names you called me. <laughs> yes. Whoa. <sighs> Are you who I think you are? Oh God, I mean, <laughs> oh you. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Oh no, am I dead? 
Oh, no, John, you're, oh, you're not dead. Well, in that case, listen, the things I said to my wife last night, okay, I, I didn't mean those it's things. Okay. An, an incident at the restaurant last week, that no, was not my fine. fault. And, and the box of office supplies John. in my trunk, I was going to return John, it's every okay. single one of them. It's okay. We can deal with those things later. Sit down. Here, you want one? Oh, no, those things will kill you. I know. They're positively sinful. <laughs> That's all right. I'll do a few extra miracles later on. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many calories those burn. I'm just joking, John. Don't take me seriously, okay? <laughs> Actually, I do Pilates. John, help a God out here. I'm giving you the A material. Sorry, I... I I guess I just don't feel like laughing. Yeah, a lot of people say that. Let me ask you something. What do you think you need to do to change your life? I, I don't know. Um, um, move to Africa and become a missionary? No, John, that is not for you. How about um, letting go of some of these things? Think that would help? Well, with the way your things are working out... Good point. <laughs> Why don't we start with your money? Money? What's in your wallet? Frank, um, twenty dollars. <laughs> yes. John. I did not know that was in there. <laughs> honest. John, you're doing great. Oh, by the way, happy birthday! I saw you bought yourself a little early birthday gift. Yeah, it's a, it's a 1983 Chevy Camaro IROC Z. It's got a, a CD player, a customized, customized stereo, stereo surround, surround sound. sound. Yeah, all the latest upgrades. Okay. I uh, can't believe I'm doing this. You're doing great, John. Uh, what's in your briefcase? Oh, uh, that Braun ET66 calculator, TP reports. Quarterly reports, ID badge. Give me your gun, John. You can have it. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Let me have it. Just let go. I, I mean, you're messing with my livelihood here. I, I mean, I, I don't make a lot of money, but how am I going to support my family? I, I, I've got bills to pay. I've insurance and a, a mortgage. Yes, you do have a nice home, especially with all the work you've done on it. Personally, I would have gone with Cranberry for the den, but that's your choice. You want my home, don't you? Wow, that's a, that's a lot to ask. No, nobody's twisting your arm. <laughs> I mean, my, my money, my car, my job, my home, what's next, my family? <laughs> oh, you have a wonderful family, Oh, John. I do, I do, don't I? Uh, look, we, uh, we just got this picture taken last week. Oh, yes, I remember that. Family? Seems like a lot to ask. Oh, you think? My wife? Kids? Okay, okay. Um, fine. Fine. Here, just take the photo. Yeah, you know what? Here, just take the whole wallet. In fact, there. You got everything now. That's all I got. That's everything I own. No. There's one more thing, John. No, there's not. I just gave it all to you. There's nothing left. Yes. There's one more. All that's left is me right here. This is it. 
that'll do, John. You want me? Yes. What could you possibly do with me? You'll be amazed. have me too. Feels a lot better, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> actually it, it, it kind of does. <laughs> um, so, so now what? Now we begin. Okay. Here. John. Ah! Ah! Here. But I don't, I don't know what to say. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Just remember that all these things are, are mine, but I'm giving them to you as a gift. Do you see how he's thinking? Uh, you still have my life. Can I have that back? Do you really want it back, John? Uh, uh, I, gu I guess I don't. Hey, what do I do with all these things now? Check in with, with me from time to time, and I'll let you know. Thanks. You're welcome. And John, just know I love you. lies beyond the stars those dazzling heights too vast to climb I got so high to fall so far but I found heaven as love swept below
invite you guys to stand and sing this out with us.
Abandoned in darkness to die And as you speak A hundred billion failures disappear You lost your life so 
hundred billion times But what measure could amount to your desire You're the one who never leaves the one behind how big God is and all that he's created, yet how personal he can be and wants to be in your life. One of our responses is just to praise his name, to worship him. And I'll just tell you, if you've never invited Jesus into your life, God in the flesh, he wants to be personal to you today. You can invite him in today and he says, I will gladly step into your life and begin to make changes that are the best kind of changes you could ever have happen in your life. If that's you today, and maybe today you're ready to accept the existence of God and the reality of Jesus Christ, you've heard enough. I just want to encourage you to pray and just invite him in. He promises he'll be there. And so to close out our day, I just want to pray. Pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you have revealed clues everywhere to the majesty of your name written on every single being and thing in this universe. Lord, I pray that we would walk out of here different that we would look up and look out and look in and see your fingerprints and connect it back to you and who you are, this God that not only created everything, but you say you love us and you know us and you created us individual with our own DNA. We're the only one of us that we'll ever be. Creator, you've given us this gift of life. And so, Lord, I pray that as we journey, and we're on our spiritual journey, God, I pray that all of us today might have just taken one step closer to you, to understanding you, to understanding our faith, to understanding where we're at on the journey. And Lord, as we continue to journey together into the future, God, speak to us every single Sunday. Continue to bring people to this room that need to hear your truth and get to know you and be introduced. And Lord, we will gladly introduce them to the God of the universe. In your holy name, amen. I'll just say this, as you guys are on your way out, there's a couple people here that would love to pray with you if you need prayer for anything. Um, on your way out, we have a ton of cake, like more than we could do. You have to take three pieces each, okay? Eat it all, give it to your friends, just to celebrate our eighth birthday. And let me just tell you this, don't come back here next week alone. There are friends of yours that need to hear what's ha what we're talking about, but also experience a place where they can ex explore their faith with freedom and love and in relationship with other people. So come back here with somebody on your arm, and we'll see you back here in the next week. Go grab your kids. There's a bounce house and sweet stuff. See you guys next week.